would do good things this morning in your people. Thank you for, uh, thank you for Jesus and thank you for his death, burial and resurrection so that we can, uh, die to ourselves. And when we die someday, be raised to, to live a new life in the eternal kingdom. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your word that is a lamp for our feet and light for our path. Help us to hide it deep in our hearts that we might not sin against you. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Genesis 21. Um, God's goodness to Abraham. And God's goodness to us. God's goodness to Abraham and God's goodness to us. Now, um, if you're looking on the, the old blog there, you're going to see more notes than I'm going to cover this morning, okay? And so what I'm going to do for you, hopefully in the next few days, is put a little video up on the old YouTube and on the membership page and on uh, my blog. And you can kind of see the rest of these notes because I really, 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 really want to focus in on verse 1 to 7. Two reasons for that. Number one, there's tons of good content and application. And I don't want to skip over the application just trying to get to more content. I'll also have been a student, I've been an educator, and I recognize all of us have this point at which information overload happens and we quit listening anyway. And so I want you to get stuff rather than just pour stuff on top of you. Does that make sense? Number two, first and fifth graders are with us this morning. So I want you uh, to be able to, to hang in there with me, okay? And so I want you to hear this morning, students. I want you to hear radical kids. I want you to hear Three Rivers Church that God is good to Abraham. and He is good to us too. And this passage unpacks that for us. Abraham and Sarah have received a promise from the Lord. And they've believed, they, they've, they've believed, they've truly believed him. But they had to fight to maintain belief because it's hard to keep trusting the Lord with a dark kingdom shooting arrows of unbelief at your heart on a continual basis. And that's exactly what Abraham and Sarah have had to fight against. They live in a Genesis 1 blueprint in the Genesis 3 world looking forward to the full coming of the kingdom. And the kingdom of darkness isn't going to let it go easy. And so they have had to fight to maintain belief. The unhealthy and doubting forces of evil stand opposed to the healthy and trusting gifts that God gives his people like faith. It's been 25 years. Twenty-five years. Not two weeks. Not even a month. Not six months. Not even a year. Not five years. It's been twenty-five years they've had to wait to receive a child. And often the enemy attempts to use time against us and really against God's kingdom when... In fact, the reality is God's timing is key to his goodness. Because you see, God knows the beginning from the end. We don't. We live from a tiny sliver of perspective. And it's easy to get lost in that perspective and think that we know more than we really know. And in fact, God's timing is absolutely key to his blessing of us as his people. Both these saints, Abraham and Sarah have given in to unbelief and man-made efforts to get God's promise. And we talked about that last week. But the good news is for them and for us, Jesus will not be deterred in his intention to bless his people. (laughs) There is nothing you and I can do to stop Jesus from giving us what he's promised us. The answer to all of our questions in Christ is yes in Christ. 
And there's absolutely nothing that can happen. One of the greatest things to happen in my life happened to me this week in Psalm 103. As I read through that psalm and I saw this beautiful promise that even in my sin, God intends to do me good. And the reason he does that is because of Christ. And if I am in Christ, all he sees in me is righteousness. And so the question for me in the kingdom of light is not will God do me good. The question is, when will God fulfill his promise and all the good purposes, why he waits or why he speeds or hastens along? And so often the enemy wants to use time against us when, in fact, it's time that's central to God's purpose. And so I hope this morning that gives you a little perspective. If you're waiting on the Lord, keep waiting. If you're struggling to keep waiting, keep waiting. God's timing is eternal in nature. And he sees the beginning from the end and he knows when you need what you need. And he won't give it to you early and he won't give it to you late. He'll give it to you when it's absolutely best. Here's just a little side note here. There are some things in the Christian life that aren't wrong and right. It's good, better and best. And it's easy to settle for good when in fact God desires to give us his best. And so keep waiting on the best. For Abraham and Sarah, it was like, okay, God's going to give us a son. And Sarah couldn't figure out how God could do this. So she tried to get it her way. And they ended up with Hagar and Ishmael. God's way was, no, 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 no. I don't need your help. I have best in mind. Now, God's going to bless Ishmael and Hagar. We're not going to cover that today. He's going to be good to them in spite of them. Just a little side note. This is a difficult passage. And I'll address it in the little video coming up this week. And you can see my notes. I've got all the notes there. I'm not going to preach through all of them. But they're all there. There's no good solution to sin. There's no way out of sin. You can't buy your way, work your way out of sin. That's why the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And so you look at this and, and they send Hagar and Ishmael away. And like, that's not good. No, it's not good. And the reason is there's no good solution to rebellion against God. You can't fix that. Which is why the the Bible is always drawing us into hear the Lord, obey the Lord. It works out to your best if you wait on the Lord. Because God's intention is best, not just good. And so these saints have been waiting and they've given in to unbelief and man-made efforts to get God's promise. But the good news is that Jesus will not be deterred by their failures. He's going to do good for them because his word is at stake. His reputation is at stake. And I say to all of us in this room, God's reputation is at stake in how he treats you. (laughs) Meaning he's not going to do you wrong. Because what's at stake is Jesus Christ. And Jesus intends to be glorified among the nations. And he will not let you go. He just won't. So what do we see in our text today? What's there? We're going to make a few observations. And we're going to dive into some application. And i got 29 minutes to get after it. Here we go. Genesis 21. I'll read verse 1 to 7. And we'll go back and make our observations. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah... As he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. At the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him. Whom Sarah bore to him. 
Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. So what do we see? And then what are we going to do with it this morning? Number one, God himself intervenes and he fulfills his word right on time. This little word visited is a beautiful word because it means to attend to. It has the idea of looking after, caring for, and watching over. God visited Sarah. That is, God attended to her. God looked after her. In other words, these 25 years, God had not forgotten her. He hadn't forgotten what he had promised. He visited. He attended. And the idea isn't that God came because he was absent. That, that's the wrong connotation with visited. The idea is he attended to his word. In other words, he did what he had promised. God, on this special occasion, attended to and fulfilled his word. God worked miraculously on her behalf and on Abraham's behalf. The implication here is that God caused the natural processes to work supernaturally because he made it happen. God intervened on their behalf and he brought about his word. God himself invaded the dark kingdom of this world system and he brought the healing power of his coming kingdom. We don't know why she couldn't bear children. She just couldn't. And God promised you're going to have a son. He's the promised one that I have promised. And it will happen when it happens. And on God's timing, at just the right moment, God burst through the darkness of this dark kingdom. And he brought the supernatural work of his power to bear with Sarah and Abraham. And they've conceived and they have born a son. God was healing what was broken. And in so doing, he was bearing witness to what he's going to do. And here's a little gospel moment for us. He was bearing witness to what he was going to do when Jesus comes and begins bringing all of this brokenness back under his rule. You're going to see all through the Old Testament these glimpses of God breaking through the darkness to fix what's broken. To give us this hope that when Jesus comes, and, and by the way, all through the Gospels, we do, I do a whole section on this when we train church planters out in Texas and know that God would give us like apostolic church planters in Rome, Georgia. Ain't no seminaries here, so God's not sending us grown men and women who have this bent to go plant churches, but maybe one day. So we go out and we train this whole day on the kingdom of God. And this challenge you to go read the Gospels and see the Gospel Jesus preached. Jesus didn't preach a Gospel for salvation. Don't misunderstand that either. Don't think that there is no salvation in the kingdom. Jesus preached the good news of the kingdom. His rule, his reign, his breaking into the Genesis 3 world to begin to sit right what had been broken. That he's fixing systems. He's fixing brokenness. He's repairing barrenness. 
He's alleviating poverty. Jesus comes in Luke chapter 4 and he quotes Isaiah. When he opens the scroll and he preaches from the scroll. From Isaiah when he says the good news has been given. And I'm coming to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight for the blind. And the preaching of the gospel to the poor. When Jesus came, he came to bring salvation to systems and to people in systems. And one of those systems is the natural process of having children is broken. And we're going to see this lived out in several women in the Old Testament. And God's going to be gracious and break through the darkness and heal and fix and give them the ability to have children. And these little moments are there to remind us that when Jesus comes, He finally and forever pierces the darkness and begins to sit right what is broken. So that one day, finally and fully, those things will be healed. And we get a little glimpse of it here. Just a little glimpse. You ever, you ever watch movies? Right? And if you watch the Marvel movies, right? And they're awesome. And they do this really cool thing at the end. If you stick around to the end. They give you a glimpse of what's coming. And guess what you and I do? I can't wait till next Christmas. Because that's going to come out. And they, they give you just enough of a glimpse to, to keep you looking forward, don't they? They give you a sneak peek, give you a preview, give you an hors d'oeuvre. And you start looking forward to what's coming. And you set your calendar for the release date of the next movie. Don't you? Unless you're a sinner and don't like movies. and like, I don't know what your problem is. But you start looking forward to the next Marvel flick, don't you? Like, anybody see Infinity War? All right, a few of us saved. All right, very good. And you get to the end of that and people are disappearing. And like you start like, oh, oh what's happening? And they give you and you're like, I got to go see the next one. And, 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 and they understand that. And they know that you're going to go spend $25 a ticket to go watch the movie. I'm going to. Right. Throughout the Old Testament, God gives you these cinematic glimpses into what's coming. It's broke now, but one day I'm going to fix it. And he sets in the text this hope that I will intervene, I will pierce the darkness, I will bring light, and I will fix what's broken. He invaded the dark kingdom and gave them a glimpse of what is to come. And he gives us a glimpse of what is to come. And by the way, it's already here because Jesus has come. And the system's been broken. The dark system. And God is bringing the healing of the kingdom to bear, which is one of the reasons we talk about engaging your domain. God fixes systems that are broken through vocational professionals who love Jesus in his kingdom. And they bring the healing power of the gospel to their vocations to fix what is broken and set right what is not right. Which is why we beg you, don't leave your job and go to the ministry. You're already in the ministry. We believe in the priesthood of the believer. Meaning, if you are in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in you and you are a priest to God. You are a potential church planter. You carry this healing supernatural light that pierces darkness. So go fix what's broken. Preach that good news. And watch Him fix systems. Watch Him save people. And He gives us a little glimpse of what's coming. God gave His word. God promised He's going to do this. So He's not going to go back on His word. Because what's at stake among the nations is His reputation. And He gave His word. Notice here in the passage you'll read... As he said, as he promised, and had spoken to him. Meaning, God had given his word. And God visited Sarah as he said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he promised. 
And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. These loaded, spoken, said, promised, and at the right time. God gave his word. God kept his word. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. He won't fail to complete that. Which means if you're wrestling with sin today, he's going to complete that one day. Keep fighting. Keep fighting. Keep fighting. God kept his word also at just the right time. Notice in the passage here, at the time that God had spoken to him. You go back and read these past few chapters. Chapter 17 in particular. God told him about this time. Next year. This is what's going to happen. And guess what? God kept his word. And at just the right time. He fulfilled his promise. One of the mysteries of this text is we don't know why God chose that time. Why did God choose that time? Don't know. He doesn't say. What we do know is that God selected a time. and He's right on time. Now we're going to apply this in just a minute. So hang tight with me. Okay. Number two. Verse three to four. Abraham obeys the Lord by circumcising and naming his son just like he was told. Notice verse 3 and 4. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son, Isaac, when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. In chapter 17, verse 10, God told him to circumcise him. All right? Painful. Chapter 17, verse 19, name him Isaac. What's beautiful about this little passage here is we're starting to get a glimpse into Abraham's being cleaned up and acting more like Jesus. Because Abraham has spent his time knowing the Lord, doing an awful lot of disobeying. Doing an awful lot of not acting the way he ought to act. An awful lot of not telling the truth. And God told him, circumcise him and name him Isaac. And what do we see happen in verse 3 and 4? Abraham's quick to obey. He will be Isaac and let's go take care of this medical procedure. He obeys Perhaps what we're starting to see here is Abraham's beginning to catch on to what it's like to obey God as his chosen instrument. Obedience begins to be a key indicator of one's knowledge of the Lord. As God has been gracious to correct him and not judge him for his sin. And by the way, God builds in discipline into the natural consequences of disobedience. One of the ways God disciplines his people is we get the natural consequences of the folly we sow. So God has allowed him to reap the natural consequences, but God hadn't judged him. God's been merciful and gracious to him. But what we start to see here is that obedience is an indicator of his growing in the knowledge of God. He's beginning to recognize the outcomes are up to God. And it's not his job to play God. It's his job to hear and obey. For Abraham, the problem wasn't hearing. The problem was obeying. He heard the Lord. He just wasn't executing the task. And so Abraham starts to obey. And he's starting to catch on to what it's like to follow the Lord. Third observation we see here is that God gives the promise and joy in him as worship. God gives the promise and joy in him as worship. I, about 5.30 this morning, I was going through these notes and going, and the way I verbosely worded that earlier was just awful. I was getting, I was out thinking myself a little bit. So, and that still sounds funky, but let me try to explain. Okay. God gives, use that language on purpose. God gives the promise and joy in Him as worship. Notice something very important here. Um, 
As we read, Abraham obeys. Abraham is 100 years old. Verse 5. Verse 6. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. God has made laughter for me. This word made, the Bible's inspired. It's the inerrant word of God. And every word in it is chosen by the Holy Spirit on purpose. And so this is one of the reasons we pay attention to vocabulary. It's not just arbitrary. It's not whimsical. It's on purpose. And it teaches us something about the nature and character of God. God has made laughter for me. This word made is to produce, to appoint, or to ordain. So it would be appropriate in this instance. This isn't always the case, okay? But sometimes it's the case. And in this case, it's appropriate sometimes to substitute words when it fits. And in this instance, you could say, God has produced laughter for me. God has appointed laughter for me. God has ordained laughter for me. And not only for me, everyone who hears will now laugh over me. This, 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 this concept of laughter here isn't some crazy, weird, barking, laughing, some dumb, dumb thing that happens in some worship experience where people are off the chain and, and have no clue what they're doing. We're not talking about that. We're talking about this, this joyous, happy, loving the Lord experience of God just being faithful. And just, it just produces this, I can't, I can't believe it. That's the laughter that's, that, that's being talked about here. Then something amazing happens and we just absolutely howl and laughter and joy in that moment. That, that's what Sarah's speaking of here. And she says, God has made that for me. In other words, all of the celebrating, the laughter over Sarah... And the people over this situation in which God has been faithful, God made it for them. He made it for them. Meaning the celebration, the enjoyment is God's idea. This isn't something they created. I mean, the text is clear. God has made laughter for me. 25 years. And now here's the promised son. And Sarah speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit said, God has made this happiness for us. And let me just be clear. We're having this conversation in sound booth a little bit ago. Joy, happiness, I think that's a preacher thing people do to try to create something to talk about. I don't know if the Bible distinguishes between joy and happiness. It's this emotion of just delight in God. You can call it joy, happiness, whatever. I don't care. In this instance, it was laughter. God had been faithful. They were happy in God. They were joyous in God. They were laughing in God. They were enjoying the moment. And guess whose idea it was? God's. Meaning, God is the one who ordains us to celebrate in Him because He's been faithful. And we come and we bring back to Him in the moment and when we gather Happiness. Let me get to the application because I go too far. I'm going to scroll on down to some application. What do we do with this text? And and I'm going to come back to the joy piece, okay? The happiness piece, the laughter piece, whatever you want to call it. 
What do we do with this passage? Verse 1 to 7. That God has been good. He's been faithful to Abraham. And he's been good and faithful to us. Number 1. And this is this is why I wanted to just hang on verse 1 to 7. Because, listen, if I don't give you some things to go do, it's kind of just information. And I can I just be honest with you? You're information out. I'm information out. Information comes at me continually. I have enough of information. Let's be very frank with you. I'm done with information. I need to start doing more with what I already know. I'm information fat. I need to be more experiential, experiential fat. I need to experience some of this stuff in my phase and time in life. You know what I'm saying? The, the Bible teaches us of a real God, and there's only one, and it's Him, who does good things for His people. And He loves His people. And so I want to make sure that I don't stop short of giving you some good things to do and experience. Does that make sense? So here's some rubber meets the road applications. What do we do with this passage? Number one, and this is kind of more information, but I'm sorry, but i got to start here. Hopefully this will lead to some experience. It's worth waiting on the Lord. It's worth it. Because I think the lie to us is, if it's going to happen... Actually, where I go get adjusted at the chiropractor, and if you think he goes to the chiropractor, he's going to hell. I don't know. Maybe you don't like that. I, I need. I broke in my back. Two thousand seven. I need to get adjusted. On the wall, it says, "If it is to be, it's up to me." It's written on the wall. That's a man-centered philosophy. If it is to be, it's up to me, and we think that. It's easy for us to think God. Is holding out. We get frustrated with two months. 25 years. You think it was worth. Waiting on the Lord. Yeah. It's worth waiting on the Lord. Listen to Isaiah 64, 4-5. From of old. No one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God beside you. Who acts for those who wait for him. That's earth-shattering. That's mind-blowing. No eye has seen, no ear has heard a God beside you who acts for those who wait for Him. He acts on our behalf. He visits. He shows up. He attends to His people as they wait on Him. You think you need to see that? Come on. Seriously, you can talk back. Do you think you need to see that? Yes! Faith that's starting to become sight. Sight isn't when Jesus returns. The kingdom has been established. The kingdom has come. Jesus has died, been buried, and He has been raised. He is at the right hand of the Father. He's generaling the Great Commission and He will return. Faith is a reality. This is real and he gives glimpses. And we don't have little glimpses in Genesis 21 for a verse or two. We have the whole world. We have the whole gospel that shows us the full picture. And his kingdom is supernaturally present. Do you need to see that? Come on. Do you need to see that? Talk to me. Yes, you do. So often we're stuck in the world of information and we don't experience and we're cold. 
We're information heavy, experience cold. And I want to say to you and me, we need Jesus to put on display His supernatural power and I need to sit. Maybe you don't. Maybe you all good. I'm broke severely at the core. I got a nasty, awful background, but Jesus redeemed that. And I need to see Him work for me as I wait on Him. Otherwise, I'll go do it myself, which is my bent. You and I need to see Jesus work for us. Notice verse 5 of Isaiah 64. You meet Him and her who joyfully works righteousness. Those who remember you in your ways. Listen, church, it's worth waiting on the Lord. I can't heal me. Jesus can heal me. And I need healing deep. And if I go try to do it myself, I will mess that up too. It's worth waiting on the Lord. Obedience to God and God's timing is always full of vision and purpose and strategic intention. Because His perspective is eternal and isn't dated with a time stamp. He sees all. And we only see the tiny little part causing initial pain and discomfort. And when you start making decisions out of initial pain and discomfort, it's a bad place to be. Because we make temporal decisions that have death consequences. And God says, wait on me because I make eternal decisions with eternal consequences. There are times Mitchell Jolly would sell his soul for a little bit of relief in the moment. But thanks be to God, he won't let me. So, I'm still in application number one. I told you we'd get to some stuff. How do we learn to wait on the Lord? I mean, 25 years. We got the negative example of what not to do. Right? We've seen that in Abraham's life. Don't say your wife's your sister. Don't protect yourself. That's, don't, don't lie. Do not tell lies. Right? How do we learn to wait on the Lord? I'm going to lean back on my old friend George Mueller for this answer. Because this is... I have to revisit this consistently. How do we wait on the Lord? How do we ensure that we will see the goodness of the Lord and and not have to reap the discipline of natural consequences of being a fool? You see, Abraham got the natural consequences of saying his wife was his sister, didn't he? He tasted those natural consequences. God was still good to him. Didn't judge him. Let him taste the consequences of his folly. How do we avoid that? How do we wait on the Lord? Here's Mueller's plan. Number one, careful reading and meditation on Scripture. In order to wait on the Lord, you need to know the Lord's ways. How do you know the Lord's ways? Read and meditate on Scripture. So start there. Number two, be righteous. Strive for holiness. Because here's what Satan likes to do. He uses our sin against us as a battering ram to accuse us. We need to remove that. Because so often we spend time fighting the accuser because of his accusation of our sin rather than recognizing the breastplate of righteousness. God calls us to be holy. Thank God Jesus is my holiness, but then he calls me to practical holiness. Work that out with fear and trembling, Mitchell Jolly. Right? So be righteous. Number three. I said two. Three. Three. Don't run away from opportunities that will test your faith. Don't run from things that will test your faith. Don't cut and run. 
If it's going to push you, don't cut and run. And then fourth, don't rescue yourself. Refuse to rescue yourself. And see, that's where it gets hard. Do not rescue yourself. If we'll practice those four things, we, we'll be waiting on the Lord. We'll be leaning into Christ and trusting His goodness for me. You know what? Our, our, our time-stamped life doesn't function like this, does it? I need it yesterday, Jesus. Where you at, God? And our faith is weak. Careful reading and meditation of Scripture. Be righteous. Don't run from things that are going to test my faith. And then don't rescue myself. That's how we wait on the Lord. Then, guess what? You'll see Him. You'll see Him. Job 42.5 I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Job didn't get to see till he walked through all the hard stuff. Got rebuked. Got taught. And by the way, God was the rebuker. But God wasn't going to let Job go. And he gave him a glimpse. And then blessed him with more than he'd ever had before. But he had to go through to get there. Number two, lean on God's promises and trust him to keep his word. Lean on his promises and trust him to keep his word. Two components. Number one, you need the scripture's promises. You need to know everything the Bible says that's ours in Christ. This is why Jesus teaches us to pray in his name. In Jesus' name is not a magical incantation. We don't say in Jesus' name because we just tack that on to the end of our prayers. That's witchcraft. In Jesus' name means what I've asked for represents your fame and your reputation, Jesus, in your name. It has your name tacked on to it, Jesus. I put your name on my prayers. Does that make sense? Meaning prayer is for us to ask Jesus for his things. And so if I'm going to experience power in prayer, I need to be asking Jesus for his things. And Jesus says, when you ask in my name, ask for my things, I'm glad to do it. And guess what? He will. Might not happen tomorrow. It might be 25 years. But he will do it. So you need to know the scripture's promises. What we need to ask for. But then I'm going to put this on here. You need to know and and write down and chronicle God's promises to you as you walk with the spirit. And I know there's room to take that off the chain. To hear your own voice as God's voice. And mishear and misunderstand God. But what we need to understand is even the Bible teaches us that we walk with the Spirit and He speaks to us and He leads us and He counsels us. And I will tell you experientially, there are things God has promised me that are not written in Scripture He has kept for me. And there are some of the few things that keep me sane. And you know what? You need that kind of walk with the Lord too. You need that kind of walk with the Lord too. You need to commune with the Lord. You need to sit in the quiet place and you need to listen to the Lord. Part of prayer is listening. And what the Spirit whispers in those quiet places, you need to write down. And you need to put a date beside it. 
And you need to go back and revisit it. And you need to ask Him for it. And ask Him to refine. Lord, did I hear you right? Did you say that? Does that match up with what you've written already? Is there any lie in what I've heard? And you need to test that thing and run it through community. And walk through it. And you need to go back and ask the Lord for it. And you know what He will do? If He's spoken to you and given you something consistent with His character. He will give it to you. I know that's weird for us Southern Baptists. We don't like to talk about the life of the Spirit. But the life of the Spirit is the life of the Christian. And He is the presence of Jesus with us and in us. And so there are promises He makes to you as you walk with Him. And so lean on those things. Do not rescue yourself. Lean into Him. God's been faithful to give us clear instruction in the Scriptures. And He's been faithful to give us His Spirit who will guide us. You need to know both. And walk, by the way, in the tension between both of them. Because I promise you this, you will prophesy to yourself lies. And you need to be afraid of that. Because it's easy to tell ourselves what we want to hear. Which is why we start with Scripture. And Spirit will speak according to His Word things specific to our lives. Number three... We're almost done. Oh, the timer is up. Here we go. Almost done, I promise. Trust God to be on time in doing what He said He would do. Trust God to be on time in doing what He said He would do. Practice not fretting. You guys know what fretting is? Worrying. Like just think constantly thinking on it, pillaging your ability to pay attention because it's just constantly gnawing at your conscience and your mind. Fretting. Practice not fretting by firmly fixing your mind and soul on all God has done already. Matthew 6, 25 to 34, Luke 12, 22 to 34. Those passage, passages mirror one another where Jesus ends by saying, Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. And I'll make sure you get all those things. Gentiles, unbelievers seek after the things, this stuff. You, that's not where your attention is supposed to be. Seek me and my kingdom. I'll make sure you got food, clothing, water, and everything you need to do my work. And then we look back and we see, God, Lord, you were faithful. You did do that. You did supply. How could I ever doubt? So trust him to be on time and doing what he said he would do. And you practice not fretting by looking back. Looking back. This is why I tell you one of the greatest disciplines as a Christian is to journal, to write stuff down. Because you're going to need to go back to 2007 at some point and flip through those pages. Remember, oh, I forgot God did do that. Because we have short memories, don't we? And we have a tendency to forget all the good God has done for us. Abraham clearly forgot that God called him out of Ur. And the next thing we see in chapter 12 is he's telling Pharaoh, that's my sister. (laughs) Right? We need to be able to look back and say, yep, God did say that. God, you were good. And we happily enjoy him. Obedience, number four, is a spirit-taught and us-learned response to God's word that is evidence we're growing up into Jesus. Obedience needs to be practiced on all our parts. Obedience is a spirit-taught and learned response to God's word that is evidence we're growing into Jesus. Everyone, Matthew 7, 24, who hears these words of mine and does them is a wise man, wise woman who builds their house on the rock. Obedience begins by hearing, and then once we hear, we learn to obey by trusting the Lord's ways over ours. We say at Three Rivers Church, discipleship is hear and obey. The discipline of learning to hear and then the discipline of obedience. I don't think any of us in this room have trouble hearing, by and large, maybe. Our problem is obedience. You got time to obey? You got margin built into your day to obey? 
margin built into your budget to obey? Margin built into your life to obey? Obedience and execution is a discipline. That's the next step. Obedience is a spirit taught and a us learned response to God's word that's evidence we're growing up into Christ. And we love to see that here in chapter 21 where Abraham is starting to figure it out. The Lord said, circumcise name, I guess I ought to do that. And he did. And then what follows the obedience is this joyous, happy laughter God gave them. Sin never produces happiness. The wages of sin is death. But obedience to God will always produce this happy joy in Christ that transcends circumstances. Finally, we're done right here, I promise. Celebrate then the fulfillments. This is that happy, laughy, enjoy stuff. Celebrate the fulfillments. And celebrate the God who gave them. Celebrating Him in worship is His idea. The Bible tells us there's more joy in heaven among the angels over one sinner who repents. Matter of fact, Jesus promises us a party when He returns. I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine till I drink it with you at the supper coming when I return. There's a party coming. And in the meantime, God's been faithful to fulfill His Word. And we look back and we see those things. There ought to be in us a happy response. You know? This is close. We're done here. This is some of our challenge inside our tradition. Is we have a tendency, we're so contemplative, we don't know how to be happy. And the truth is, if we look back and see the faithfulness of God, there's got to be some moments where there's just some happiness. I mean, how can we not? Number one, we're singing the song about the resurrection. He's alive. Jesus really isn't dead. That, dang, that's good news. That ought to produce something, right? Not, hmm, hmm, resurrection. Yes, yes. Hmm, 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 hmm. No, he's alive, man. Right? He met the need last month. Thank you, Jesus. I ate today. Thank you, Jesus. I'm clothed today. Thank you, Jesus. Right? I have a hope for tomorrow. Thank you, Jesus. You see what I'm saying? And so there's this sense in which we ought to be a happy people. So Three Rivers, this morning, can I call you a little bit of joy? A little bit of happiness? Because God's been good to us like He was good to Abraham. And, and you know what? I need to say this. My lost friends aren't attracted to contemplation. They're just not. I can't say this. They're recording this. I hope Muslim friends don't listen. Muslims are plenty contemplative and not happy. Now, there are some really cool Muslims who have a sense of joy. But, man, contemplation is not going to win somebody out of darkness. The powerful gospel that releases a heart to enjoy the goodness of God to us, is attractive. Love is attractive. And we love God and love each other well and love the world and are happy in God. I want to be there. I need to be. You know what I'm saying? I need to be. And maybe some of you are there. 
And I just want to call you to enjoy the Lord this morning. And so whatever that looks like for you as we're singing, because we're going to sing to the Lord. That's what Christians do. That's what the Bible tells us to do. So we're going to play. The band's going to play a song, and we're going to invite you to stand and sing. So would you just sing to the Lord as happily as you possibly can? And is that, is that cool? And if not, then you do what you need to do. I trust you need to obey Jesus. If he's speaking to you to be contemplative, then you be contemplative. But if he tells you to be happy, be happy. I'm going to pray and we're going to do that. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word that is a lamp for our feet and light for our path. And I thank you that your word teaches us that you're good to us and you're faithful. You're a covenant-keeping God, promise-keeping God. And uh, just like you did for Abraham, you do for us. Thank you for that. Lord, I pray this morning you have taken something from your word, something that's come out of my mouth. And if it's been an error, Lord, wipe it out of our memories, keep it away. But if it's, it's truth, pray that you cause it to land and maybe be, be a little uh, grain of sand and an oyster that will produce a pearl of obedience. So God, I pray that you do something in our hearts with your word and make it produce good fruit. Um, yeah, make it produce good fruit in your people. Pray this morning, Lord, for a spirit of happiness in us that, that uh, looks back on your faithfulness and celebrates that. You made laughter for Sarah. Would you make that for us? And uh, help us to enjoy the cross and the resurrection this morning, please.